0: Welcome to Zeitgeist. A fair bit of what we all learn throughout our years as young people is that shit sucks. We're here to discuss how this feels, how we're getting more disillusioned yet still idealist about things getting better. So if you're expecting solutions, we can't promise anything but group crying, honesty, and hopefully some insight from our guests. Here
1: at Zeitgeist, we ask three questions. What is the world? What could it be? And if it can't
0: get better, how do we cope with that? Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Zeitgeist. Today, we're doing the second part of our Changemakers series, and we have the wonderful Jesse with us today. Kia ora. How's yeah. it going? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for um, having me on, guys. Oh, good. Anytime. You're welcome. Yeah, so we're talking to Jesse today about, I don't know if any of you guys know this, but Jesse actually ran for... Wellington Central. <laughs> yeah. 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 He ran for government, basically. Last year in the election, while he was at halls, I voted for him. Me um. too. <laughs> oh, look at that. Oh, that's like half
2: my voters right
0: now. <laughs> Amazing. Do you want to like introduce yourself, oh. talk a bit about what you did, anything? Yeah, like,
2: sure. So, yeah. hi guys, I'm Jesse. Like Kate said, I ran for parliament and was Wellington Central Electorate. So, for those of you who don't know, that is a pretty tough electorate because it involves both Jane Shaw, leader of the Green Party, and Grant Robertson, who is now our Deputy Prime Minister. And so I decided to do this around July, about a year ago, in fact, last year. And the election was in October, so it was about three or four months. And yeah, I did it while studying full-time at Vic, so it was quite full-on, but it was really good.
0: Not yeah. to flex, just like, you know, just yeah. studying and <laughs> yeah. parliament and yeah, yeah. having a social oh, life. I yeah. seem to recall many times when I saw you with a scrumpy tape to your hand as well during this whole process. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no,
2: never taped, just in the
0: oh, okay, hand. okay, no, I okay. I yeah. Mechanisms. the tape. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so this
1: niche hobby. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: no, um, yeah, what else do you do? Tell us more about yourself.
2: I guess it took up so much of my life for so long I didn't have a lot else to do during Very that period fair. of time. I am, I'm just a really avid politics follower, regardless international politics. Politics. I spend a lot of my time doing that. Apart from that, I work a bit now. I'm looking after kids, play the piano a lot too. And between all those things, that's basically just all of my time. Cool. Yeah, yeah
1: fair. So, um, fair. what do you put on the piano?
2: Movie music. Um oh, You know, best. Pirates of the Caribbean.
1: Yes, <laughs> of like every,
2: every song from Pirates of the Caribbean, any of my friends or family would be sick of this by now because I've been playing it <laughs> for like eight years straight. You know, that one theme in every movie.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: So, yeah. a, a Good lot of one that. Long.
2: Yeah, it's, it's a banger. It's an absolute
0: banger. You know, mm. You're know, gym- in a room with two piano players as well. So. Oh, yeah. really? Oh, my God. Yeah. 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 yeah should we just ever. stop talking and just <laughs> do it just playing? jam three yeah. person duet <laughs> three. Three. Yeah. three person duet that's another duet <laughs> <vibe>. three person <laughs> three person tri- yeah. a sh- triad <laughs> trio is that what you're going for oh, I feel God. like triad
2: is like a triad like a, yeah. oh
0: that's yeah. cool. that's for like
1: music. Like,
2: yeah. Uh, also, triad... Clearly the, we're
0: not very good at the piano. No, I don't know what a triad is, actually. <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> I haven't
2: done theory in years. I just play notes, Be boot. you know. Yeah. 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 That's mm. how it should be. Yeah. Be exactly. That's just the beep, purest beep.
1: way. Yeah. Absolutely. Them. Well, that's
0: really cool. The first thing that we do, it's like, guys, and like what we talk about is what the situation is. Do you want to give us a bit about kind of on why you decided to run and then yeah. how your experience was running? Sure. So, the
2: starting point for this is from when I was about 16 or 17, I was loosely interested in the idea of running for something, even while I was quite young. Reason being, you grow up, you have these progressive values, you're loosely interested in politics, you just have this general overwhelming feeling that things aren't the way they should be in a variety of ways. And so for a long time, I was just quite interested in that. And then I was like, maybe I should run for parliament in 2020, because I will be 18. And then COVID hits. And we go into an eight, nine-week lockdown, and that entirely just leaves my mm-hmm. mind. I'm like, you know, got to focus on just getting through this and focusing on union stuff. But then we got our lockdown, reassessed where everything was at, and I was reasonably optimistic given our government's response to it. I thought that went really well, and I was like, this is a real opportunity. We're rebuilding our economy. We can make things a lot better. And we just didn't, really, as a country. That left me feeling quite disillusioned, and so I was kind of like, What to do what to do oh well i mean one very clear thing is that some of the most powerful people in the country are in the electorate i'm in and i'm old enough to run so i decided that that was just a pretty direct way of holding some people to account about what has been going on in this country in the last few years particularly with regards to climate change and so i basically decided that although i'm frequently upset about a dozen different things that go on in this country and across the world at any given time that climate change is probably the one which is the most important to focus on, and you can get the most bang for your buck in terms of talking about it versus what can actually happen. Basically, myself and some others who were helping me decide to run this campaign on that basis of we're just going to push the conversation towards doing more about climate change. We're going to get up there, we're going to do some debates, we're going to do some social media, we're going to do some door knocking, and we're going to basically just make the other politicians have to talk about it more and do more. And that was the theory, and it kind of worked because we were like, 10 or 11 debates throughout the whole thing, and basically gave some version of the same speech every time we go do more about climate change, government's not doing enough. At the first one, people are like, who is this guy? He's 18. That's weird. Um, And by the 12th one, if I was speaking after, say, Grant Robertson, he might try and preempt me by getting up and talking about climate change before I did so that what I said would sort of be blunted a bit. So I was actually reaching a point where he would try and preemptively talk about climate change, which was really what we wanted. We wanted these Labour and Green politicians to be really focusing a lot more. So on that basis, I think it went pretty well.
0: That's pretty awesome. Okay, so you actually got that. some people talking about some shit. Yeah, you're That's like, amazing. Hey, I'm going to make you look bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah fuck yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: It was all pretty amicable. Though. I tried to toe this line between okay. like, not just like shitting on these people, you know, getting up there and just saying horrible things on like, you know, you are completely failing this country. You're a disgrace. <laughs> you know, it's more just like, you're not doing enough. Please do more. Yeah. You know, you've got you to find that line. Yeah, trying yeah. to
0: start the conversation wasn't really being had no, on like yeah. a national scale before. It's, yeah. yeah,
2: it's incredible just the extent to which climate change is the most important issue, yet it just doesn't seem to be breaking through politically as it should be yeah. compared to COVID for the last year. Climate change is probably going to do 10 times worse to our country than what COVID did, but COVID dominated the news when it was happening and is still happening. Well, I
0: guess Mm. it's because you can see the immediate effects of COVID because people are getting sick and people are dying and the death toll is rising. Obviously, that's happening for climate change, especially in Pacific nations and in countries that aren't New Zealand and don't have the same privileges that we have.
2: It's just probably for three quarters of people, politics is about what they can see themselves. And if Mm -hmm. you can't see climate change yourself, you're not likely to do much about it. And so the main challenge is trying to get people to change that mindset. Well,
0: I mean, that's why we've got COVID deniers they feel like they can't see COVID, so they're like, oh, it doesn't exist, baby.
2: Yeah, it was kind of a funny mindset, though, because on the one hand, you bring someone from 18 months ago and tell them 4 million people have died from a deadly pandemic, it wouldn't be Mm. entirely crazy to be like, whoa, how did that happen? It's just obviously when the media is telling you that and a lot of people have low trust in the media, then you get these crazies who then go, oh, COVID's a lie. And then the funny thing is that all stems back to why they have low trust in the media, maybe because they've let them down, because they're impoverished and stuff, and it all sort of ties into these other issues. So you get this sort of weird feedback loop.
1: I feel like it's not that surprising, though, that people don't seem to care about climate change that much. The motivation's kind of obvious. Yeah. Even though they suck. Like, you know. No, it
2: really it makes sense for yeah. a lot of people. You just have to try and change that selfish way of thinking. Because mm. for so many people, politics is just about how can I improve my life? Yeah. But And of course... Obviously, doing stuff to combat climate change will improve their life in 15 years from now, but it's about how can I improve my life now this year? So you have to change that to not just how can I improve my life 15 years from now, but Mm. how can I improve my life and everyone else's lives for the next 100 years? Because that's what politics should really be about.
1: That context is probably quite hard to come across in, like, a three-year election cycle where oh people God. are just trying to go for the most yeah. popular
0: thing. That yeah, will get people are photos. after their careers as well, you know. Yeah, career politicians. People um, move on. <laughs> <laughs> Another question is, how did you find running against those people who are supposedly better mm-hmm. to equipped to mature and all that kind of stuff that people associate with being old?
2: The main thing to me is we had Grant Robertson and James Shaw in the electorate and that they were capable of politicians, really know what they're talking about, have done a lot of good stuff for New Zealand so... With regard to campaigning against them, I was correct to expect them to be quite serious opponents. They really know what they're talking about, and so I do feel a bit out of my depth there. But what surprised me a bit was the extent to which most of the other candidates, whether it's National, Act, Top, and a lot of the smaller parties, a lot of what they say doesn't make much sense, and they don't often have a lot of an idea of what they're talking about, and it really makes me think if enough young people realized that so many of these people who are running for these offices consistently don't often know what they're talking about, and really, it's not that hard, then a lot more people would be like, hey, if if they can do that, and they're just wrong all the time, and seriously misinformed, then maybe I could do that. And so I think that's a really important thing to understand is that Mm -hmm. a lot of these people outside of maybe some of the great Labour and Green MPs just aren't very serious people. And so a lot of people could probably do it better. Apart from that, in terms of experience of the campaign there are some real barriers in terms of fundraising networks of people you have it is quite difficult so i think particularly what i'm looking forward to in the next few years is building up better institutions for young people so that we can be better equipped to do these kinds of things Mm. um because the reason why I persisted with it is because I'm just incredibly set on this, and I know that that makes me a really weird person, because a lot of other people like, I want to do change, but I'm like, this is my life for a few months. And so like for people who aren't quite, this is the only thing I want to focus on, I get like in tunnel vision, but still really want to do change, it can be really hard, because how do you commit yourself to this much time when you don't have the money, you don't have the people to support you? That was something I found it could be quite alienating mm. and difficult, because you turn up to a debate, and... Labour candidate might have five supporters and they're holding banners and they've got campaign manager, they probably have a pollster or something. Something they get a question from the media, they can ask a media person. But you're just a person, you don't really have that support. So that was something I found difficult and I think building that for other young people who want to do similar things is going to be quite crucial.
0: Absolutely, especially because part of that is going to be like, trying to get rid of some of those barriers because we'll have to pay rent and they have to go to university yep. and they have to work their nine to five jobs and all that kind of thing so it is in a way politics is inaccessible so trying to make that accessible for other people like you who want to be in politics and want to be making that change that you're trying to make because if we look at the current political sphere for a young
1: person it's scrolling through instagram seeing the occasional infographic information slide being posted some people like take less notice. Some people take more. Sometimes you might go check R and Z or something because your lecturer told you to, mm-hmm. and you might see someone like Chris Bishop post something on Facebook, and you're like, ah. <laughs> but like a lot of the information that young people do receive is on the engagement end rather than the sort of causing yeah. the politics end, Definitely. and it's. Often a lot of political rhetoric that they see, like it's just one line statements. It's not sound bites. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's difficult <laughs> to get into. <laughs>
0: yeah,
2: I guess one of the biggest things I want to push is just you can do it. So many other people think they know what they're doing and they don't. So you might as well give it a try. You know, make it till you make of, it. Kind yeah. of vibes. Yeah, in, like mm. you know, it's like imposter syndrome. The reason why mm-hmm. imposter syndrome is a thing is because a lot of people generally are out there in society thinking they know what they're doing and they actually have no idea. And a lot of those people do end up in the national party. So it's like
1: they're also all old white men. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> so if you're you're, yeah. you're young,
2: you're non-white, you're whatever that isn't that isn't the national party demographic, then, you know, please run for something. <laughs> I'm begging you to it, please. Yeah,
1: literally. I think there were some statistics about applying for certain jobs, and it was found that overwhelming amount of men would apply for jobs they felt, like, 30% qualified for, whereas mm. there were a lot of women who wouldn't apply for jobs that they felt 80% qualified for. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, I like read that. that same study. Yeah. yeah. I feel like those numbers are kind of wrong, but... No, no, I no. Mean, the point is yeah, yeah. There, yeah. yeah.
2: So just giving people that confidence is really important.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So what institutions would you be trying to build for young people to Mm. have that access? What does that look like for you? So
2: one thing that I'm really interested in is left media and progressive media. We're not like some countries, luckily, like Australia and America, where our media is dominated by things like Fox News and like Rupert Murdoch media and stuff, which is just (laughs) terrible. But I think a lot of media in this country is just slanted towards the status quo and slanted towards the interests of well-off people. And just having media institutions we consume so much media day to day and just having these media institutions like magazines, news sites which are just reinforcing good progressive values and encouraging people to be getting more involved I think is really crucial and I just mm. think that that's something we don't have enough of in New Zealand mm. You know, I'm subscribed to a couple of left wing magazines <laughs> but they're all overseas, international and I would really love to see some stuff like that in New Zealand. The other thing is so many of our problems come back to people not having enough money and I swear mm. if young people had more money, just generally disposable income they would have more time to do things like this and so a lot of this comes back to just get dollars in people's hands ubi ubi yes
0: sexy yeah and (laughs) like that green party like 325 dollars a week for student thing love that love that shit Yeah. yeah absolutely
1: we talked about this in another episode briefly about echo chambers that you can get on social media and stuff and so for the young person it is the instagram scroll which they follow accounts like shit you should care about go green save green all that kind of stuff but Because they're not a magazine, they aren't necessarily offered the same
0: legitimacy.
2: Yeah. It needs to feel like real media, you know what Mm, I mean? People view the news differently to how they view what they see on Twitter or Facebook.
0: But also with things like Instagram and Twitter as well, there's only one contributor at a time. So when you're looking at an Instagram page, you've either got an admin or a modman team or whatever, but it's all under one page. Whereas if you get a magazine, you can get multiple contributors, Mm. you can get people with different viewpoints. So you're consuming a more well-rounded amount of media anyway. Yeah, exactly. interesting.
1: Yeah. yeah, and then if young people had more money and they could <laughs> afford to subscribe to these magazines, these magazines are funded to actually do lots of research and stuff. Yeah. Whereas these Instagram accounts aren't necessarily compensated for mm-hmm. their work. They're just providing free emotional labour.
2: It's just some people who are volunteering because they have the spare time, but that's not something to build like a real institution on. You need mm. resources, you need that funding. Right. Of course, like the whole chicken and egg problem, where does that come from to start with, is difficult. You have to build that up from the ground level and it can take quite a while, but yeah. we've got, got to start go doing it. GoFundMe
1: page. No.
2: <laughs> go, go, yeah. the GoFundMe page is just called left wing stuff. And
0: it's just like, we, need,
2: yeah. we need $10 million and we will do a lot of left wing stuff.
0: We, we won't tell rate. you what it is, <laughs> but we're going to do it. <laughs> it's like a collective communist tax
1: facing yeah. fund <laughs> where you like split things out according to people's application. <laughs> okay, I'll stop now. I
2: would, I would put 10 bucks into that. I, mean, yeah,
0: I would probably uh, would too be honest. Yeah, just yeah. out of interest as well. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I just want to go back for a second to like when you actually ran for parliament. Because I assume you're going to do it again, right?
2: So I'm thinking about running for city council is oh, probably cool. where I'm headed at the moment. <laughs> yes, that's, that's, cool. that's next year as opposed to 2023. So yeah, I don't see myself running for parliament again right. next time. But yeah. something else probably.
0: Yeah, fair. I wanted to ask, what was your experience talking to people our age when you ran? When you ran, what was the reaction from people and where? People who talked to you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, this is
2: a really interesting question because it was a really good reaction. I just wasn't expecting it so much. I knew a lot of young people were either politically disengaged or just really like the Green Party in particular. <laughs> I am running... It's ag-
0: targeting me. <laughs> you just <laughs> edit oh, us. love
1: the Green... Yeah. No, this but, podcast is yeah. non-partisan. <laughs> <laughs> Quite
0: non-partisan. Yeah. Point I was talking yeah. about communism like we're non-partisan.
2: <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like, and so I'm running against the leader of the Green Party. I expect a lot of people to be like, you know, why are you doing that? Support the Greens. So many young people are just like, that's so awesome, go you. There's so much energy for it. If someone just takes that first step, there can be a lot of push behind it. And one of the things I did during the campaign, that I think, was the most valuable, is I went to Tapuni. I knocked on every door at Tapuni Hall. I went through the whole building. It took me a couple of days, um, like six hours total or something, because that was a really good way to not just engage with people who care about politics, anyone who was just in their room. I would just go there and I would say 15 seconds, here's my deal, what do you think? And the number of people who just look like regular 19, 18-year-old people, they don't really have a specific interest in politics, but they were just like, yeah, I'll vote for you. You said climate change, you said I'll actually do stuff about (laughs) climate change, and I'll actually listen to young people, you have my vote. I did not expect it to be that straightforward but for so many young people they have so little to believe in so much of the time that even if you just give them a 15 second here is why you should care about what I'm doing, they will just go for it and they Mm. get involved. And that was just really great, I think. I think that's a really good sign for more young people running for stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean, what that shows is that there is that idealism out there. There are people out there. There are young people who care and who actually want to see that change and who believe that it can be done by people like you and by people like Tam Paul and people in those positions of being able to make change, which is really cool because here we often (laughs) talk about how there isn't a lot of that idealism (laughs) around. So, yeah. It exists.
2: You just have to try and find the right. You
0: have to knock channeling. on every door and patoony. Patoony? You have to knock on every door in <laughs> tapoony for that. Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I wonder, the Green Party definitely does feel targeted towards young people and stuff, mm. but it's not like they will go around the halls and, you know, oh, no. actually, no, well, they can't. I mean, Sort of, yeah, but not the same
2: like hands-on level. That, you know, I don't want to say like what I did was better than what the Green Party does. They should. It's different when you're running for a single candidate as opposed to like a nationwide party campaign. And I'm not like bashing the Greens with regard to that. It's just about making sure you have young people representation. And to be fair, mm. they do a decent job of that. Like, yeah, you know, love Chloe.
1: What do you think of the debate between oh, like this person they know a lot about what young people need versus this person actually is a young person they've experienced it first? Like, mm. what's your sort of position on? Yeah, that?
2: Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I grapple with a lot and obviously this question doesn't necessarily just apply to young people it can also be like various other groups Mm. Mm. i mean i think for some other groups it's probably just more straightforward like Māori people should be in charge of moldy issues yeah. but for young people everyone is young at some point so it's less of like a static thing and like we're changing age all the time. I think that I would rather have someone who really cared about youth issues than someone who was young but there is correlation is the main thing is that mm-hmm. if uh, if you show me a young person and show me an old person and you tell me nothing about them I would rather have the young person represent me but if you show me a young person and they're a young nat, and you show me Bernie Sanders I'll be like yay Bernie I'll, I'd rather have him than this you know young nat guy wearing a suit who's like we must cut taxes <laughs> on the rich <laughs> <laughs> you know? And those people are dime a dozen.
0: Oh, absolutely! What you rock up it? to any exactly. politics lecture, like oh. one hundred level politics lecture. There's at least three of them in the front.
2: Well, it's a real trope, and those people are so frustrating. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah.
2: I've tried to keep the campaign focused on what I can do for young people, or what my policies could do for young people as opposed to just I am a young person but obviously those are tied together
0: what were some of your policies and like what can they do for young people
2: right so my number give one give us policy- the 15 yeah, second okay, spiel so the 15, seconds, the 15 <laughs> second spiel is that our government is currently not doing enough to meet even bare bones requirements for what we need to be doing on climate change this is going to have catastrophic impacts for us in the future and is going to be terrible for our economy and for our younger generations, so we need to have young people get more involved, do things to stop climate change like invest in public transport, and here I'm running out of time, and then... Invest in public transport, green energy, divest from fossil fuels, and then also if I have extra time at the end, I say we also need to combat child poverty because the government could probably do that quite easily if they wanted to. They just don't want to.
0: Mm. And all of that comes (laughs) through with taxing, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. That is very important. And I love to talk about tax all the time, but I feel like a lot of people don't want to, so you have to try and like, you know, people don't like the word tax, but I'm like... Yeah, we do have to pay for it with Taxing the Rich.
1: Even one of Kanye's new songs, he literally says, I could give a dollar to every person on Earth or something. <laughs> Jesus
0: Christ. <Is laughs> do it, bitch. space right now. Yeah. <laughs> I hate uh, it. The funny I don't thing like is, Kanye. Though, Sorry, everybody. No. Uh, not a hot take, though. <laughs> not,
2: yeah. It's pretty uncontroversial. Like, <laughs> the funny thing, though, is that if he did give a dollar to everyone on Earth, that wouldn't be the best use of his money. No. <laughs> yeah. that,
0: that and giving would... a dollar to Jeff Bezos? Like, yeah. here, bro, like, take this. That,
2: like, That's such a weird way to do yeah, so much. Way. You could just do so much more than just give a dollar to
1: everyone on Earth. Indeed. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. So what did you think? Did you think you had like, a realistic chance of getting <laughs> <laughs> Wellington Central? And then therefore, because if people weren't voting for you, say they'd be voting for James... Can say James Grant? Shaw <laughs> sure, sure, Robertson. James, James Shaw, yeah. same person, yeah. Shaw Robertson or James Grant. Yeah. <laughs> um, people will be either voting for James Shaw or Grant Robertson or yeah. you. And how did you feel about people... Would you say you're closer to identifying with the Green Party than Labour?
2: Well, or? it's funny you say that because I am now a member of the Labour Party. In fact, um, oh, and that is, I'm sure, mildly controversial among some people who really like the Greens. Yeah, I'm a Green talk, Party I can member talk myself. <laughs> more about that if you guys like. But I feel on policy, particularly national policy, definitely closer to the Greens, in particular during the campaign. So yeah, I was close to James Shaw there. For
1: mm, sure. Yeah, and uh, then so because I, I don't know how to say this, but mm-hmm. I know some people were kind of like. A lot of people who would vote for Jesse would also vote for James Shaw, mm. and then maybe those votes should go to James Shaw instead, just to yeah. ensure that he gets in.
2: Well, yes, yeah, so this was the main thing that I tried to push about the MMP system, is that James Shaw is not getting in in Wellington Central. In fact, he's not even trying to. I really liked it. James Shaw and Grant Wilson have this kind of buddy cop thing going on, where they like <laughs> got each other's backs, you know? Every debate at Wellington Central is like a two-man routine. James Shaw is like... I don't care if you vote for me, just vote green. Whereas Grant Robertson is like, vote Labour and vote for me, because they both know Grant's going to win. So I'm not really taking anything away from James, is the main thing, because he would get in on the party list. He's not trying to win Wellington Central, and I don't think he is. Well,
0: that's why I voted for you as well, because Mm. your vote doesn't need to say something in the MMP system your vote Mm -hmm. doesn't have to say something in terms of like I don't need to vote for the person who I think is like necessarily the best for that part I vote for the person who's got policy that I think needs to be talked about needs to be represented like I knew you weren't going to win but I knew that what you were talking about is something that I cared about and therefore Mm -hmm. I wanted to show that I was supporting the fact that you were talking about this by giving that vote there therefore like my vote went to someone who's actually talking about these issues in a grassroots kind of way rather than giving it to James Shaw who you know they're not really functioning in that same kind of space as someone like you were yeah, I Absolutely. feel like you definitely
1: did provide a different perspective as well. It's not like you were just Green Party mm. number two. You know? No, yeah, <laughs> and
2: I, I struggle with that impression a little bit. It was important to differentiate myself. Although, in fairness, one of the things is that regardless of what any Green Party candidate wants to say or what any Labour Party candidate wants to say, it is a lot tougher for them because if they go out on a limb and say something their party doesn't believe in, that's a bit mm. ugh, you know yikes for them. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. you have to they have to toe the line more. So I was a bit more free to say what I want. So that was a privilege for me. I definitely try to differentiate myself as much as possible.
1: Yeah.
2: By the way, I don't think I answered your question before about like, I think I have a chance of winning. The answer is no, I never thought I had a chance <laughs> of winning. But I am um, my lofty goal was a thousand votes and we didn't get there. Although I did underestimate just how well Labour would do in the elections. So that's part of it. A lot of people, like half oh, the country yeah. just two takes Labour. So you know, that's difficult to work against. Mm. But you, you, got, know, you I, got
0: like six hundred and something votes and you saw it four, four hundred. You four <laughs> but hundred you know, it's, it's, it's yeah. still
2: I'm happy with that really I always said it wasn't really about the votes, but about the conversation. And yeah, so I tried to not be like, down about
1: that and just work with what we got. And that was cool. Awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah. yeah, And that discussion that you get during the campaign is just as valuable mm. as well, regardless of whether you get in or not. Like, yeah. that's still important things that will stay in people's minds. Definitely. All those people at Tapuni. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I still
2: have a very occasion... Really, very occasionally, but several people since the campaign have sort of come up to me and be like, "I remember you. You knocked on my door, and I voted for you." And every time, my heart swells, and I'm <laughs> like, "Oh, a unicorn! You voted for me. That's yeah. so sweet. I, it really makes my day every time."
0: Well, look, oh. this room is 100% Māori <laughs> voters. <so>. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Probably
2: the only room in New Zealand. I should know. My parents. I was
0: going to say, surely room. your family in yeah. living
1: room
2: together. Right yeah. now, maybe. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah, I just wanted to ask again. Because we've talked about the positive stuff about it, but if we want to take a look at some of the more negatives, like, did you ever feel I don't know, disillusioned about trying to make that change when you're in those debates and when you're facing those barriers? And
2: Yeah. Yeah, no, I did go through a lot of that throughout the process, in particular when we went back into COVID Level 2 nationwide in like August or September. For several days, I thought about stopping the campaign and just not going through with it because of the difficulties that COVID would pose and I was already feeling like I was having a very difficult time just getting all the work done. In particular, I'm quite a perfectionist. And so you look at other people's campaigns or other parties' campaigns, and you're like, they have all this stuff going, all this media, all these policies, all this stuff that's happening, and you're trying to do it all, but you don't have the people or the resources or the money. And so every time something was not quite up to scratch or perfect, I would sort of beat myself up a bit Mm -hmm. over it. But I think the main thing to me was just, is what I'm doing a net positive for the world? And if it is a net positive regardless of like how hard it is or how small that positive is that i'm just going to keep going and so i i did go through various patches yeah. in particular most of the debates happened in the last month before the election and i was running for about three months so there was a period of nearly two months where there weren't really any opportunities to talk to a lot of voters in groups and i was running the campaign a lot through advertising on the internet and stuff and that period of time was a lot more difficult because it was a lot harder to measure like am i actually achieving anything you can get likes on facebook but that isn't really anything but then as soon as there started being rooms for of people and i could say things about what i wanted to do in new zealand and stopping climate change and ending poverty and have a lot of people even you know a lot of older people too was what was surprised me applauding for that really gave me the confidence boost i needed so once that started happening i had less of those low moments where i was questioning what i was doing but yeah there were a lot of ups and downs in the campaign but i ended up feeling really good about it
0: so then how do you feel now looking at what the government's doing now you know, given yeah. what you campaigned on, how does it make you feel to see what's happening with the government right now?
2: I'm not ecstatic, to say the least. <laughs> like, the question is, obviously, I think this government is doing a lot better than the previous government, but then, of course, you have to take into account the fact that NZ First isn't holding them back anymore, which is a huge change, because we can't pin things on NZ First anymore. We can't say it's just bloody Winston pieces anymore. You know, the government MPs have to look themselves in the mirror and be like, we are the masters of what we want to do, and so if there's something that's not happening in this country, it's because... Labour MPs are choosing not to go through with that. So yeah, I'd say in terms of the last budget and what the government's focusing on exceeded my expectations. I was pretty happy and I think that we're moving in a good direction in terms of, I guess my two main issues, climate change and poverty. Positive change, but my baseline in terms of expectations was relatively low, so I'm still relatively displeased with a, a clear majority of MPs. So if I could talk to all of them, I would just say, be brave and just follow through on what you know we need, but mm. you're scared to do because you think that people are going to get mad because you're mm. going to have to raise their taxes a L- little bit.
1: Literally, what are they afraid of? Even if they do lose some voters by next mm. election, they will still have enough to form government. They yeah. so will just have to form it with the Greens. Or oh the Greens and multi party,
2: Party. You know? Oh, yeah. wouldn't that be terrible? Oh yeah.
0: my oh, god, how oh, amazing yeah, yeah, be <laughs> <had to> give <laughs> the multi Party more voice. Yeah, oh. yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah
2: so like... I was thinking about this the other day in terms of how you toe the line between congratulating Labour governments on things they do well and criticising them on things they do poorly. And I think the main thing to me is when I'm talking to people who I know are with me on a lot of issues. I'm very happy to be like, Labour government is crap on this, this, and this issue. But when I'm just talking to everyday people, I really think that it's important that we know all the great things that they are doing so that we can make sure people stick with Labour and Greens as opposed to national. Yeah. Yes. But yeah, like yeah. when I'm in a setting, everyone's like a lefty. There is a lot of stuff that needs to be done that just isn't being done.
0: Mm. So. Very label headed answer. <laughs> yeah. <I know. laughs> just, I've
2: been practicing my politician speak. It's kind of gross, isn't it?
1: Like, yeah. <laughs>
0: no.
2: The last nine months or so since the election I've really taken a more like okay I did that that was my time to say whatever I wanted now how do I try and achieve things in a more measured way where I'm achieving real change and actually get elected to something achieve certain real goals so like Mm. if I sound more like a politician now (laughs) it is only because I am having very difficult conversations a lot of the time with myself and others about how do I not alienate people and how do I try and bring as many people with me as possible on a political project and what you're trying to do. And so if that means you don't always say everything you want to say about how bad a certain government position is or how bad a certain MP is or something, then, you know, that's just how it goes sometimes.
0: And is that why you've picked the Labour Party to be the party that you've joined because you think that's where you can make the most change? Or is that another reason?
2: Yeah, that's definitely it. And I struggled with this quite a lot because I was sure after the election that I needed to join a political party in order to try and achieve more change. And I spent quite a while thinking, ah, oh, the Greens, their policy is better, but oh, Labour has a better sort of... I guess the main thing is what I call like a person's theory of change. If you think about, I want this, this, and this to happen, how is that? What are the steps? How are you going to get there? The thing that really appealed to me about the Labour Party was both their historic level of support with unions and Māori and Pacifica people, which I found really important in terms of we want to build a political project that is not just relatively well-off white people in Wellington, if you know what I mean. And, you know, not to say that's just what the Greens is, but they're definitely more of that than Labour. And then the other thing is... Labour's process for how their party works is very democratic. And so that means that even if some of the things the party stands for aren't great, there is a lot of scope for changing that within the party. And so I found that very helpful. But I know that a lot of young, greeny people are going to be like, oh, Jesse, you've betrayed us. But um, (laughs) I'm trying to just be like, at the end of the day, the party is less important than what you focus on. And so I've ducked my flag, um, end poverty, stop climate change, and everything from here on out is basically just how do you get there. And so just because I'm in the Labour Party doesn't mean that I am the average Labour MP is what I believe. You know, I'm definitely mm. to the left of the average Labour MP. You've got to try and think about not just what policies the party's pushing, but who are they working with and what kind of community links are there. And I think mm. that that's something that is really hard to think about because obviously... You can have one party that's better in policy and one party that has these strong community ties, so you just have to do a way up of which is more important to you, and that's very tough. The main thing is, Greens have been trying to win more votes from a lot of Labour constituencies for a long time, and I'm not sure this has necessarily happened. There's a lot of reasons for that, and again, there's nothing wrong with that power to them, and I think that the Greens are serving a great role in terms of they appeal to a different type of voter in Labour, but they work well together and I think that's really great. And green's, of course, nowhere near as white as national or black. You know, like, that's an important distinction to make. Interesting
0: commentary. i got off track a little bit, but... <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> it's always oh, the way. It's always good, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The next part of what we talk about here is, like, if you could reimagine the institution and, like, politics and that kind of thing. Like, what would you want to see happen? Like, I know you talked earlier about um, creating new institutions for young people and left-wing media and that kind of thing. So what does your ideal look like?
2: Right. So, I mean, my ideal society is different from our society in a lot of different ways. But I think crucial thing is, ideally, I would like everyone to be in a union, and I think that that would really help with building just a general, more community-focused society that works for everyone rather than the few. At the end of the day, in terms of achieving change... We need a better democracy. And a lot of that, what I find is that a lot of these things that I want to change, right, it all just at the end of the day does come back to money. At the end of the day, people need money in order to do things. And a lot of these social imbalances and various things that I would like to change about society, whether they're to do with democracy or various social issues or climate change or how we relate to each other as people, all these things that matter so much, a lot of it comes back to the people who have the money have the power and they can shape our society as they want. So my absolute number one first thing is we need redistribution of wealth in this country. We need redistribution of production and capital. And Mm. so at the end of the day, I think most important things is we need stronger unions and left-wing institutions. And main thing with that is we need something like a UBI or big increases in the amount of money that government is giving to people so that we can have time and energy, this social ability to engage in all these things that make our society better.
0: Absolutely. Because you can't engage in politics if you're working and stressing and studying and going shopping and cooking and cleaning and eating and sleeping all the time. Mm.
2: One of the things I've just been thinking about a lot in the last year, which I suppose I didn't really think about before, and as a result this might not have come up as much in terms of when I talked about things in the campaign, but it really is stark just how much politics, whether it's politics on the left or the right, you know, liberals or conservatives, is run by people who are well off, because your average poor person just does not have the time or energy to engage in this kind of thing. And so opening up politics and society in that way for everyone is just an absolute bottom line that has to happen.
1: Yeah. That's just such a drastic reimagining of everything, mm. that, Like, I don't even... Well, I would like to, but conceptualising that would be so hard.
2: Yeah. It's never happened, really. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the closest you can think about it is maybe some Scandinavian countries have done a decent mm. job in terms of equalising their society, but they're still also quite racist. <laughs> you know, yeah. swings and roundabouts, it's not all uh, great there.
1: Yeah. I like what you said about unions, because... If everyone's working. Everyone's got a job. Then it makes sense. The only way you can really stand up to the people who are, like, control the power and have like the few rich people, yeah, it's through the union.
2: It, absolutely. Yeah. I f- I often feel like democracy was part one, and unions and social democracy are part two. In terms of mm-hmm. 1700s, everywhere had a king, right, or a queen, and everyone was just like, this is just how things are. And then all through the 1800s and 1900s, like revolutions. You know, we're going to have democracy, but we haven't had the second stage of that, which is you get a vote, but your vote. Is less useful if you don't have the economic power. So the oh unions no, are you're sort of so like. Right. Like Jeff I,
1: Bezos, king of Amazon.
0: He's, he's, he's like,
2: <laughs> he is a modern day sort of like feudal lord, yeah. you know, like with his little Amazon workers, like his what do you call them, like serfs, and peasants, his big or whatever. Dick
0: shaped <laughs> spacecraft.
2: Oh, I I saw something about his spacecraft being shaped like a dick, and I was like, surely it's not. That's just what all it spacecraft
0: genuinely look like. is. It's, it, it is. is. it yeah, just actually looks like a penis. <laughs> yeah, it's like very phallic. Mm it's
2: ridiculous
0: no that's insane And there's
2: photos of him wearing like a cowboy hat and it's like you are five years old you want to be a cowboy astronaut it's really funny yeah i have this sort of little theory that i feel like a lot of people think is quite weird but i actually think that a certain level of wealth is a kind of addiction or illness almost in terms of if you view what is crazy what is like mentally ill and this is necessarily ripe is often viewed as like what is deviation from the norm you know like we have a set norm in society and people need help, quote-unquote, I'm doing quotation marks you can't see because it's a podcast, but um, if they deviate <laughs> in a certain way, and I seriously think that if you look the way people like Jeff Bezos act and talk and behave, it's like that person is crazy, and they are crazy because they are rich, and by taking away their money, you're not just helping everyone else, you're helping them, you're helping them become like a, a normal human being who actually relates to other people, and you can frame it as taxing the rich is actually self-help for the rich, <laughs> because, because really, it's harmful to them, it's hurting them, and it's take away, you, you, have, a meth, you have a meth addict, take Away their math and put them in rehab. Take away Jeff Bezos's money and put him in money rehab.
0: Throw their self care back at them. Throw yeah. their Abolish prisons and make new money rehabilitation centers <laughs> for the rich.
2: <laughs> yeah, Jeff Bezos just has to repeat a Green Party talking points for like a year straight or something <laughs> and then you can.
0: He needs to manifest it. Yeah.
2: yeah. He needs to self actualize
1: Yeah. He- um, yeah, how we facilitate that politically.
2: Like when the idea that we put Jeff Bezos in self help, <laughs> like how do we manifest that politically? I was like, oh, wait, wait, we're doing—is this what oh, no, we sorry, actually serious sorry, about? This?
1: Um, I mean, changing yeah. topic. Yeah, yeah. So, to get to that sort of society, yeah, what sort of political mechanisms do you think need to change in order to facilitate that?
2: Yeah. Okay, so the way I'm trying to think about it, and I was trying to think like before I came on this podcast, what is a sort of good way of framing this? I think to me. It's like, say you have a laundry list of 10 different things you want to do that will make society better, you know? And they're like, stop climate change, and child poverty, rights for LGBT people, you know, a long list of things you want to do. A really critical part is thinking about how these various issues flow into each other. And I know there's a lot of discussion on the left about how, like, everything is interconnected, right? You help one issue, it helps another. But it's worth thinking about it's a set amount of time, energy, and mm. money that can go towards these certain political project and so what I'm really trying to think hard about is what is the one where you are best focusing your energy so this is why I end up talking a lot about something like a UBI right because I think that when you empower people with money a lot of the other stuff also becomes easier one of the main political mechanisms for creating this society is just thinking about like which issues if you want to tick off the 10 things which is the best order to tick them off in as in you can't necessarily expect people to care enough about a certain issue, maybe climate change, for example, if they don't have enough money to survive on a day-to-day basis. So you provide them with that, and then climate change can be the next domino to fall, and then you have this mm. theory of change where people's lives are made gradually easier through the power of good progressive policy, and then you can go through your laundry list and just tick everything off, and then bam, you have a great society. And of course, it's much more complicated.
0: <laughs> yeah, woo, let's just do it, <laughs> it's baby. Just done like that.
2: <laughs> but yeah, I guess to me a big thing is just thinking about what is best things to target now, and particularly... Timeframes matter a lot, as in climate change is a very time frame focused one, whereas, of course, child poverty is terrible, but we can end it in 10 years, whereas climate change is too late. So mm. I try to think really strategically about what is going to work for that in terms so of
0: being, just, sorry. <laughs> basically talking about cost-benefit analysis of your yes. main issues Can yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm eco- <laughs> you I'm really boil the reality is it's terrible I know no, no no I'm not criticising that at all it's just like talking about <laughs> timelines and you yeah. know the cost of certain things like it is just yeah really weighing things up in a cost-benefit analysis I format. know right I mean I, you have to have that economic <laughs> lens
1: if you are within like a very Ugh, economic- abolish the society <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah I like to think that part of the reason I'm doing the economics major is so that when right-wing people are like you don't understand economics i can be like bam i have a bsc in economics like get fucked you know pop off the act deputy leader likes to say this is
0: brooke
2: brooke yeah. and she, she was in the electorate i was running against. every goddamn debate she would say she'd give this little 30 second story at the start of each speech about how she used to be in the green party but then she studied economics at university and she realized the greens <laughs> don't know economics and so she joined act and i was like no brooke you were probably just racist like that's why you <laughs> joined act like it's not you didn't read an econ 101 textbook you just decided that you don't care about maori and poor people like that's it's not so like oh. being able to say i also know economics is quite useful against these people Yeah, no,
0: Definitely. That <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of what you talked about earlier is about how youth engagement in politics is so important right and we know that youth aren't engaging in politics it's a colossal issue every election that comes around that youth aren't engaged so like how do you see that changing how do we create that change so that youth are getting involved in politics and they're figuring out they can run for politics like you did and they're figuring out that their vote counts and that they're using their vote then that change can kind of come around that laundry list can happen
2: Yeah, that is an incredibly difficult question that I don't think anyone has the good (laughs) answer to. Because I've been thinking about this a lot, because I'm, you know, like I said, I'm thinking about running for city council next year in Wellington, and one of the biggest problems is, you think young turnout is bad in national elections, it is abysmal in local elections, it's just, like, practically zero. So... My main thinking on this is just you need to show people in very simple ways how government improves their lives. And if people don't believe that that is the case, they will not vote. And so you just need to make a very, very clear case. I think it needs to be quite materialist because at the end of the day we'd love to think that everyone is this super progressive person like us who cares a lot about trans rights and what's happening in Palestine or in China but at the end of the day a lot of young people are just trying to get through their lives because they are studying full-time and then working 15 hours a week and then trying to have a social life and trying to have fun and so you have very little time to think about anything in politics that isn't directly about you or the people you love so Mm. I think that messaging it's unfortunate because I wish everyone was just this really cool socialist who's like how do I help other people but you really need to be in very unobscured ways this is what the government can do for you we are practically offering you this if you vote for us this is what society can be like you just have to tick this box Mm. and I don't know from an objective empirical point of view whether that is gonna work but that's what i would like to see more of and i think that there's no good answer and Mm
0: -hmm. yeah
2: it's it's really it's really tough
0: yeah so you talked about those barriers right you talk about having to work and having to maintain a social life and having to sleep and having to do your studies and having, you know, all that kind of stuff that we Mm. keep talking about that affects our lives. So do you see that as a core barrier to why youth aren't getting involved? Because if we had less of those things to worry about, we'd be able to expand that scope out to things like Palestine and things like what's happening in China and things that are outside of our immediate impact.
2: Yeah, I think that people think about themselves first and others second, and the less they have to think about what they need, the more they can think about what others need. You're absolutely Mm. right there. And so obviously there's so many things that, young people need in our society that it's a long time before we can be like ideally i'd like new zealand to be a semi-utopia where we are doing our best to act to fix because you know problems in the rest of the world aren't going to solve themselves in 100 years a lot of problems in new zealand could so i'd love for us to be able to be the society where Mm -hmm. we can spend most of our time thinking about how do we fix the rest of the world and help people who are suffering there but yeah you really need to just have people have enough money to live. That's it. Yeah, I feel like a broken record here, but that's basically a large part of it. I don't want to say that's the be all and end all, but I'm really struggling to think how you can get young people more engaged without it. Another big thing is we don't know how social media and the internet are going to change things 10, 20 years from now. So that's a big question mark and that's something mm-hmm. we're going to have to grapple with. But I don't know it's necessarily helped so far, but I don't know if it's hurt either. It's just, yeah. yeah.
0: The next thing is like, I don't know, actually, before I say that, we're talking to you. You sound very optimistic about everything, which is a fresh viewpoint for this yeah. podcast. You don't sound as tired as <laughs> <you're doing tight laughs> or some other people.
2: I, I slept until 11 this morning. I'm very fresh. I'm feeling good today. Damn, I um, wish that was me. Yeah, I know, right? Actually, you know, I, I missed my lecture. It was terrible. I guess I'm very optimistic about New Zealand in part because I'm deeply pessimistic about a lot of the rest of the world, like the UK and the US and China are all going to complete crap. So I'm trying to keep on a good face and be like, yes, we can make things better in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. We are in a better position than almost the rest of the world. Almost like if we can't do it, no one can, so we have to do it. And
0: that would be very scary.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Oh
0: there we go. There's that (laughs) Is that what you want? (laughs) There we go. I pulled it out of him. Drag (laughs)
2: drag the groans out of me. Yeah. But yeah, I think New Zealand's generally looking good in terms of our trajectory in mm. terms of a lot of things it's just a question of time yeah. and we need to hurry it along
0: yeah so when you move that optimism and you think about the alternative and you think about the fact that youth aren't engaging in politics and we don't have amazing representation and there aren't enough changes happening in climate change and poverty reduction and creating a better more equal New Zealand how do you cope with the fact that all of that is very pressing and all of that is very disillusioning and it can be very overwhelming and you know all that kind of stuff
2: yeah, that's a really interesting thing because at the end of the day, a lot of these conversations like, here's all the things we want to do, and then at the end of the conversation, it's like, well, we can't right now, so that then you're just left here.
1: Why we started this?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, to me, it's like, one thought I try and reassure myself with is, one lens of this is, am I doing enough? If things aren't great, what is my personal responsibility to try and make things better? Mm. And so one lens I try to apply to this is, if everyone else was doing roughly what I am doing, mm. would the world be Okay. And I like to think that it would be. And so at least if you can think that if everyone else in society was doing the things you are doing in terms of like, you know, fighting for X, Y, Z issue, you know, trying to not emit too much carbon trying to generally be a good person and if you can look yourself in the mirror and be like yes if everyone else was doing this then we would be okay then I think that's a good way to try and not beat yourself up about like I'm just not doing enough sometimes you like the world is going to crap and I'm not doing enough and then the other side of it then is you know, regardless of your own personal responsibility like if things are going to crap like how do you deal with that in terms of like I guess, I know, we don't really use the phrase check my privilege anymore, do we? That's like a 2017 thing.
1: (laughs) Use Um, it, bring it back. (laughs) I guess,
2: yeah, I guess for, like, New Zealand people, I do like to check my privilege in the sense that, like, we are so much better off than nearly every other country in the world. And it's so important to not keep pushing forward, but I like to stop every once in a while and be like, I could be in Mississippi, America right now and have no civil rights if I was not white, or I could be a Uyghur in China and... I know that that's a trope, you know, oh, there's a kid in Africa who has it a lot worse than you. And I know it's kind of tired, but I think it still has a lot of value in today's society, particularly as we see, it's not just like there's a kid in Africa who has it worse than you. It's now just, there are just millions of people in a lot of Europe and America who also have it a lot worse than you because their countries are going to complete crap. Mm -hmm. And so just trying to like keep that perspective, I think Mm -hmm. is quite useful. And just take some time and just really don't think about the world and just do whatever you want every so often. I'm very bad at this because I think about politics literally 24-7 and it's terrible and it's going to kill me. So I'm not the best person to give advice about that, but really just spend some time off the internet is is probably helpful Mm. advice. You know, it's easy to just keep going down these rabbit holes on like Instagram or Twitter or whatever, but it probably doesn't help a lot Mm. of the time.
0: Yeah, Yeah, to challenge that a little bit though as well, Obviously, to be able to disengage and to take a step back is obviously a privilege because it's not our lived experience. We're yeah. very privileged people because we're affording to be at university and, at least for you and I, you see that we're yeah. white and there are a lot of privileges that obviously come with that. So for the people who can't step back from that and for who like that, politics is their lived experience. Do you know what I mean? Well, yeah. I, yeah,
2: I guess I was framing my answer to that more for people who are thinking about politics as an abstract thing rather than yeah, their yeah. Own yeah. lives. Because yeah. I don't know what it's like to be mm. poor. I can't really say how to make it better for yourself. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I guess my answer for someone who is really struggling through a lot of problems we have in society, if you are poor, if you are discriminated against because you're transgender, if you're Maori, you're oppressed by society is probably the right word. My answer is more get angry, but like righteous anger and channel your anger in a positive way but like it's an easy thing for me to say right like i'm a relatively well-off white guy i feel like it wouldn't be great for me to be like if you're poor here's how you can adopt a growth mindset or self-actualize or all these other buzzwords you know like it sucks i apologize for the way the world is it sucks and i'm sorry and we're trying our best and, yeah, you're right, my answer was a bit framed more towards... No,
0: that's like, fair, yeah. More, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Yeah,
2: if that was an easy answer for me to say, if you're struggling with poverty, here's how to make it better, than I would. But yeah. by definition, there isn't, because if there was, then we wouldn't have these problems.
0: Yeah, you know, absolutely. Really. Yeah. I guess the question we asked, that last question, how do you cope? Because being a young person and having to deal with all those barriers that we're talking about does mean that we spend a lot of our time looking at things that we want to change and having those laundry lists and having the things on our laundry list that we really want to change but then not having the time, the means or like the way mm. to do that and then when we do have the time and the means like when you ran for parliament we don't actually get to see a lot of that change come to fruition, right? Because yeah. you weren't able to actually go into parliament and be like, here's my laundry list, do it. Yeah, yeah. sad face. <laughs> yeah. I So I guess, this like this not a
2: visual medium.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. so the reason we ask that question and like what we're trying to get to the bottom of is that given that as young people we are held down by those barriers, but we all have these laundry lists that we want to do. How do we cope with the fact that we're not always able to implement those?
2: Yeah, it does eat you alive a little bit sometimes. So much of this stuff just feels like common sense to so many young people yeah. and lefty people where it's just like, why?
0: Yeah. Why, why have we, we not, not taxed the ritual Yeah. Yes.
2: Yeah. It might be helpful to every so often talk to conservative people just to reassure yourself that they're not totally insane. Maybe some of them are, but it might be helpful to sort of just like Get out of your bubble every so often. And be like, here are mm-hmm. the people who are the reasons why these things aren't happening, and let's try and build some kind of human contact with these people. Because it can feel like there's just an invisible wall you're pushing up against, right? Like, really, when I'm thinking about politics, I don't think about any specific person who's stopping what I want to happen from happening. Like you know, end poverty, Mm. stop climate change, it feels like there's this invisible barrier and it's just like, I'm pounding my fists against it, you know?
1: Global citizenship is so weird. The people you interact with online, say like the viral TikToks that come up on your For You page and stuff, are all part of your echo chamber. Mm. So you think there are these people who agree with you, and yeah, they do, but then you also
0: don't get contact with all those other kinds of people. I don't know, it's such a weird phenomenon. Yeah, and in that way, the wall is invisible because we don't know you know you don't have faces for names of the people who yeah. are preventing that stuff and also the invisible wall is also every institution that's been built through colonisation in this country you know it's our yeah. governments and it's our education system that's mass educating people through processes like NCEA yeah. that invisible wall is not only just people like us or the people in suits who vote for the <laughs> Nats it's yeah. these yeah. massive institutions that have been built through socialisation and colonisation that's continued yeah. so it's like how the yeah. fuck are you supposed to on, knock that down
2: on that point basically one of the big things I've been doing in the last year is just reading about strategy like how can the left win because obviously we take a lot of L's and I think that on that (laughs) point you're totally right about all these institutions that are just built to enforce the status quo so I have to say that if you are really interested in change but you're not a person who wants to run for something or be involved in electoral politics or directly involved in organizing a really great thing is become a powerful person in the media become a powerful person in these institutions like don't be afraid to become part of these institutions and change them for the better because I think one of the best ways that we can enact societal change is just by like you can't tear these institutions down, but you can radically change them if you stay true to your values but get a positions of authority. Mm. The thing that I think about with regard to this is about 1992 in America, gay marriage just started becoming more popular, and a lot of people, like political science researchers, were like, why? And a lot of it has been traced back to this one column that just ran in a lot of newspapers across America. It was a syndicated column, I think, and it was just about gay people, and it was just about their lives, and it was just about, like, we're regular people, we just want rights, we walk our dog, we go to work, you know, we're in gay relationships and that's just fine. And because someone in some position of authority in some media institution in America was just like, hey, let's do this, 20 years later, gay marriage is legal. You know, obviously that's not an amazing time frame, but that's better than the alternative. And so Mm -hmm. don't be afraid to just try and become part of... I guess what I'm saying is the media and these institutions that you talk about have incredible power to shape everything we think about. So don't be afraid to, while being mad at them... (laughs) also try and change them for the better and I think that becoming Mm -hmm. a journalist and stuff while being true to good progressive values is a great way to do that.
0: Yeah, so what you're saying is you can critique but also participate, Yeah, definitely. I
2: really don't like... Well, critical
0: participation, yeah. Yeah. Definitely.
2: I really don't like the kind of politics theory which is sitting out because you're mad at the system. Yeah, I think it's like a (laughs) weird type of anarchist person who's like, if you vote then you're complicit and it's like, no, if you vote you're trying to make the system better. Exactly. Please do that. You just have
1: to acknowledge the realities of things. Mm, From a strategy perspective. (laughs) Is that a double agent thing where you're like i'm like you and then you hire me and no i'm writing this <laughs> column up and stay kind of thing you know like-
2: a, a little bit like i don't <laughs> want to make it that explicit
1: that you're a spy <laughs> <laughs> but you're like grappling just, one hand. i feel like that strategy perspective is so interesting part
2: of the reason is a lot of people who have this weird interest in like, what you're saying like cost benefit analysis or like, read political science papers and stuff are these rich kids who do econ and commerce majors and end up voting national and so I wanna see more people on the left who are getting into the really nitty gritty. But then of course the flip side of that is people don't vote for you or get excited by like, these weird, esoteric, like strategy type arguments. You still need to have this core of heart and soul and like mm. this is what we care about. Get people excited, get people outraged. But like that strategy thinking, I don't know. I mean, obviously, that's just me because I do it. So I'm like, it's important. But I feel like it helps. Um, but yeah, so yeah. No, not necessarily being like a, t- a double agent, but like just like <laughs> go through the world trying to change it. Go through your career trying to make change, but stay true to these progressive values. Don't let institutions shape you. Shape institutions mm. is probably the best way to put it.
1: I have a lot of conversations with friends, and it's like, why should I care about those things? Like, I'll probably just end up giving in because at the end of the day, everyone acts in their own self interest. So why should I do any different? What would you say for those people? <laughs>
2: I would say that that attitude has never gotten anyone anywhere. And I think a big thing in terms of this is just knowing some history can be really helpful. Like a lot of people knew more history of the union movement and how collective action has really achieved a lot throughout history Then people would maybe be a bit less sceptical of that idea Mm -hmm. because I think people just maybe lack some trust in others. And so once you can be like, here's all these things we've achieved, you know, the minimum wage, five-day work week, 40-hour work week, stuff that collective action has given us throughout history, you know, the right to vote. At that point, when people are more informed about how these things came about, then they can maybe have some more trust in other people that they can work together and achieve more things like this in the future.
1: Yeah, and also, that just reminded me, like the messaging that self-interest isn't necessarily an inherent thing to the mm. human condition, Yeah, just a bit of thatcherism. It's, it's,
2: um, yeah, no, definitely people I know are selfish, so it just must be the way they are. It's like, no, you've been trained to be selfish, <laughs> yeah, because absolutely. you being selfish keeps the rich people in control it's exactly. like of course the rich want you to be selfish because as right. soon as you start working with everyone else then mm. you know oh, they no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. it's
2: seriously like a lot of it is what do the people who have power want the people who have power how are they trying to shape our society so they can keep that power and once you can mm-hmm. start to see that then you can start to tear down a lot of these misconceptions
0: I mean we talk a lot about Individualism versus Collectivism here and you think about it At an integrity level The rich are the individuals They think individually And they think about How they can get The most money for themselves By exploiting as many people As they need to do that And so then the collective The alternative Is when you think about Other people And how you can do The best for other people And that's with everybody else That's the way that We always come to Conceptualising change That Jess and I both Believe Definitely Every episode (laughs) Yeah Every episode It's
2: good if you come back To the same conclusion Through different parts Every time That must mean it's the right conclusion i would like to think
0: yeah trial Um, and error you know we're doing a real science experiment
2: yeah no seriously we've done a control experiment and collective action works so let's do it now it's just science i I don't have control over it it's just science yeah
0: Yeah. i think it's It's really interesting what you're saying about joining institutions and that kind of thing trying to work your way to the top because that's so important right you can't change them unless you're in them but then there also is that revolutionary anarchy kind of perspective where people are really for Mm. grassroots change ripping it all down do you think there's a place for both of those
2: not to sound harsh, but I really am not a fan of rip-it-down type politics because I have been a rip-it-down politics type person, and looking back, I really feel like it was a worldview founded in my own outrage as opposed to what I can do for others. And I fully <sighs> understand it, but like a lot of left-wing people start from the point of view of things are wrong, things are bad, we should change them, things should be better for everyone. And so a lot of people i don't want to be mean to these people because they are on our side you know we all agree on a lot of things we need to do to change society but the kind of person who's stuck in the i want to tear it down full-on need a communist revolution or we need to rip it from the roots or whatever but doesn't really articulate a great way of how to do that it's not necessarily doing a bad thing i don't want to be like this person is actively bad it's just like this person is probably not doing a lot to Mm. help the world i want to be clear that's a very small group of people and like there's a lot of different ways to work to change and my thinking about how to do it is just one of many but the type of person who really is just like I will not do anything to make the world better unless it's a very specific way in terms of I want to completely change the world overnight, I'm sceptical of that.
0: Yeah, well I mean you can, those two things can exist in tandem as well, you can have that revolutionary, I don't want it to be like this at all, so I want to change the entire system and those people who are like, well I'm going to do that through working with something else, if you know what I mean, like Mm. they exist together and they work together because you need people who are in the institutions to enact that change but you also need people who are outside the institutions to conceptualise what that could look like. Yeah, definitely there has to be
2: those two, and I'm firmly on the working within institutions side yeah, cool. but that's not to say that there isn't room for the others it just means that that's where i've chosen and to
0: we've learn. talked to a lot of yeah. people who are the others yeah, who are yeah. coming up with the conceptions of what those institutions
1: can be yeah. where the outrage comes from who it comes from maybe the outrage is felt because it's a real lived experience of themselves yeah. and so that's just exactly what they feel and like you can't feel anything else than that sometimes so like for them that is a valid viewpoint to hold and they've got a place too. and
2: Yeah, I think there's definitely a big difference between the poor, discriminated against person who's just angry at the system and the rich white person who's incredibly angry at the system in terms of how they channel that. Mm. A lot of it comes back to what responsibility do we have to make change? And of course, like, your responsibility to make change is partially dependent on how much power you have.
0: Absolutely, and how much privilege you have to help other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I would note that I think... When we're talking about people who are really completely rip-it-down, left-wing type of politics, these people are probably not generally the most disadvantaged in society because generally this kind of thinking will come from people who have spent a lot of time on the internet or yeah. uh, like a type of anti-establishment type, <laughs> really. And I don't want to say that this is necessarily a super bad thing, but it's just a type of consciously chosen to try and go in a different direction with politics.
0: The last thing to touch on is how do you emotionally cope just you on your own and not really this whole like oh how is society coping how are all young people coping it's how do you personally cope with the fact that you know you go home and you haven't ticked everything off your laundry list and you also may never tick those things off your laundry list and obviously you could but like yeah. you know there's always that kind of chance you won't
2: yeah i mean i guess on some level i'm just a relatively optimistic person by nature mm. and i think that really helps i always have the next thing i'm working on you know it's important not to just get like for me, it's important not to just get like listless and sort of be like, um, what, where am I going next? After I ran for parliament, I gave myself a month or two to just not think about it and just you know have fun over summer. But then immediately after that, I was like, okay, here's the next thing. And then if that doesn't work, here's the next thing. And so I think just like, having that clear next, that north star, like here mm. is where I'm headed, really helps for me. And at the end of the day, I'm not a religious person at all. I am an atheist, but I have this faith that the world will become better. I guess I'd call it faith because it's not informed by any evidence. But I have this divine belief, as if handed down by God, that poverty will end, we will stop climate change, and the world will usher in this democracy and prosperity for all. And that belief has come to me... From like just a long time of being like, I have to believe it because if yeah. I didn't, I would kind of go crazy. Mm. I've decided that this is what will happen. The only thing that can change is how we get there and how long it takes. How and how so just.
0: To do? You, <laughs> You've chosen uh, that idealism. It, it
2: feels almost pretentious, but this is my faith. This is Some people are really religious and are really guided by a certain, you know, this is their faith. This is my faith. And it's mm. not any God. It's a faith in the betterment of humanity. And I'm just like, this is basically what I've decided to dedicate my life to. And I will never stop. And I think the worst thing would be, what if I spend a lot of my time and energy trying to achieve certain political goals and then after a while I'm like I can't do this and I give up but the fact that I know I won't and I know I will keep pushing for this stuff Mm. means that I can have this consistent warm fuzzy where I'm like it will get better and we will achieve things even if it takes time so yeah it works out
1: on the first thing you also said I think that's really useful as well to conceptualise the next step because on this podcast we talk about narrow scope versus wide scope and narrow scope is like each day you just get by and you're just focusing on yourself and like your daily okay, little, your red, little task. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah and then you've got your really massive scope which is the whole world and way into sex but I guess somewhere in that middle ground like my next goal my next issue that's obviously something that's really useful to think about
0: yeah. rather than just thinking about how do we teleport from a to b you know yeah. like <laughs> about that middle ground between the narrow and the wide scope and you're talking about that north star then also is also the thing that you come back to at the end of the day. At its heart, that's your core values. Your core values are creating a better society for everybody and bringing through actual equity. For people, right? And so yep. everything you do, you get to the end of the day and you're like, Holy fuck, that day was terrible. I did a shit debate. Um, climate change is still going. There's a the fucking ocean is on fire and Jeff Bezos oh is in space. God. Like, you know what I mean? Like yeah, you come exactly. back to that and you go, Okay, but then like I have this thing, I have this North Star, I have this middle ground, which is the thing that I know I care about and that I will continue to work towards. You know, even when shit is fucked and when you do come away and you're like, Well fuck, that did nothing. I like I'm not making any change with this. If you're being guided by something so good and so whole, then, like, there is always that tiny bit of hope. You
1: exactly. Know? Yeah, especially that, for, dis- really good especially
0: for disillusioned people. Yeah. There is always that tiny bit of hope. Maybe yeah. it'll work. A lot of old people say,
1: oh, you'll grow up and you get realistic. But I feel like you've grown up from that, tear it all down to get yeah. realistic. And that realistic is being idealistic and yeah. hopeful. Yeah, I, 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 I
2: really like that as a worldview of, yeah. like... Realistic doesn't mean you have to be some conservative shithead who thinks (laughs) Like that's not what realistic means. Realistic means do what's within your power, but what's within your power could be changing the world. Mm. I think it's a myth that young people are gonna get more quote unquote realistic when they grow up. I think that given the state of our society the moment young people are just going to grow up and then we're going to get more power and then we're going to change things Yes, because previous generations grew up and then they got wealthy and got homes and settled into their suburban lifestyle and started voting national but we're just not do- not
0: getting homes oh, we're not getting <laughs> we that get <laughs> homes. Yeah.
2: I mean one slight upside you know, pool of downsides about none of us being able to buy houses in the next decade is that maybe we won't feel like we are entitled to a house mm. and entitled to a lot of generational wealth and maybe that will mean that we will feel this anger even when we're in our 40s.
0: And maybe we'll get an inheritance tax. (laughs) How good would that be? Oh, please. (laughs) So a funny story about that whole, oh, adults telling you to be realistic when you grow up. I remember so clearly I was working at a pizzeria in Auckland. I was like 18, and I remember serving these two white guys in business suits. And I don't know why, they were talking about the election and... Oh god, I probably shouldn't have said anything, but I said something. <laughs> I don't even remember what I said. We just got into this conversation about it. And it wasn't heated and it was nothing like that. And it was quiet, so there was no one else and we were just talking about it and they were like, "You know, you'll grow up one day and you'll realize that you're wrong and you'll swing towards that conservatism, and they're like, you'll become more realistic about the world when you have to pay taxes and you watch your money go down the drain and all this what? genuine. It was so it was so you're real." Taxes. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, uh, "Do you think I'm not paying taxes right now? Like <laughs> I'm working at this pizzeria. I'm serving you fucking beers. Like can you not tell?" <laughs> It was just that same rhetoric that we hear over and over again about young people being so disillusioned about what real life is. They were like, you don't know what real life is, you don't have a mortgage, so you'll end up voting national when you're older. Why is conservatism tied to maturity? Yeah, you know it's
2: bullshit. You've experienced more of real life than someone who's never worked in hospital just by having worked in hospital. It's a terrible worldview, and I hope that our generation is going to prove them wrong. Mm. I
1: hope so. I hope it's also not just a matter of just things got really, really bad, so we finally had to do something. Yeah, that's a whole other can of worms. That would be, <laughs> like, what if?
2: Yeah, this, what if we make things so good for the next generation that they grow up to be concerned? Don't no. Uh, Don't
0: even go there. <laughs> no, I, I like that. God, the I imagine, like, they start writing history like yeah. you're like in 200 years, their history page. Is on why the liberals of 2020 ruined society? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I want to get rich. I don't want this 80% tax rate. And you're like, why did I go wrong as a parent? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think that's going to happen. But yeah, like I said, I'm an optimistic person. So um, mm. yeah, I like, I like to think that a lot of the things we want to change about society are self-perpetuating once people get a taste of what actual freedom is they don't want to go back once you mm. give people a better life they don't want to go back but maybe it's just optimistic
0: well yeah it's the better life for the individual or the better life for the collective as well so yeah that's a really they good start point perceiving themselves as mm. individuals anyway
2: <laughs> the thing that makes me hopeful about this is things like universal healthcare. right in the uk mm. they got it in the 40s and then you have Margaret Thatcher in the 80s and she's like the most insanely right wing human being to ever exist and I like hate her she is actually so so crazy (laughs) and I I love all the memes on the internet about people pissing on her grave and stuff it brings me such joy (laughs) anyway there's all these people who are like she wasn't that right wing she didn't get rid of universal healthcare and it's like no she really 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 wanted to but she couldn't because these people had it once they had it they didn't want to let go so my hope is that once we can give people a UBI yeah the UBI mm -hmm. yeah UBI is probably the number one example they're not going to let go because they're going to see that it works and they're going to see that it makes their lives better and then the next margaret thatcher just going to be like left twisting in the wind because they're not going to be able to do anything <laughs> do you
0: mean Guys. judith collins
2: <laughs> <laughs> she's not she's not like no i'm no, i yeah, yeah. <laughs> margaret thatcher has some charisma or something like that <laughs> <laughs> yeah. girl boss I know. oh yeah,
0: no i think judith is probably the more sad case <laughs> yeah yeah uh, we'll leave that for another time yeah <laughs> Well yeah, thanks for coming. Thank you so much. No
2: worries guys, it's been a really interesting discussion. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Oh, of
0: course. I definitely learned so much. Yeah, yeah. same. If, yeah.
2: if anyone who's listening ever wants to talk about any of this stuff with me, I literally think about this stuff twenty-four seven and so it's just always swirling around in my brain and I'm
0: enjoying the consciousness, it. the stream yeah. of consciousness.
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I look forward to seeing the other parts is this gonna be like a three part. Three part. Yeah. yeah, look with it, Tamitha Paul and Monica Limbs. So yeah, absolutely. I'm two really cool people. So I hope that between the three of us we've given some people some stuff to think about.
0: Definitely have. I've got a lot to think about. Same. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go home and be like, "Mm." (laughs) (laughs) hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. See you guys next time. Thanks. Bye.